0: Good morning. morning. Thank you to Bruce and Pam for leading us today in music. Exodus 14 is where we'll be this morning. And if you can believe it, next Sunday is the last Sunday before not only Thanksgiving, but also before the start of Advent, which are the four Sundays before Christmas. So it's basically 2022. Uh, But. I hope you're enjoying the season and the time of year that we're in. It does go fast. Um, It's good to see you all this morning. Exodus 14 is where we'll be. I'm actually going to begin in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So, He made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi Hathoroth. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from here before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Would you pray with me? Our glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your blessings in our lives lord we thank you for this church and for the people here lord we thank you for the community that we're in that we would be light in our community lord that we would be a blessing in our community lord we pray for our time as we study your word today lord that it would be focused on you and your gospel and communicating that and pointing us to your glory in jesus name amen May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This passage we actually looked at about a year and a half ago. And I asked myself, should we look at it again, considering we've relatively recently preached on this? And for two reasons, I decided to. One, we've been going through passages in the Exodus. And it didn't make sense to me to skip over perhaps the most significant event in the entire book of Exodus, perhaps the most significant event in the Old Testament, God parting the waters of the Red Sea for the Israelites. Didn't make sense to just skip over that. Uh, And secondly, because it's still God's word, and a good knife cuts more than once. And so we'll look at this passage, and again, such a well-known story in the Bible but ultimately also such a passage that has a such a strong gospel focus and it points us to the gospel and to the work of Christ. And so really there's two main sections that we'll look at today. One, the actual events of Exodus 14, and then secondly, how it does point to the gospel. Now the main idea from this text this morning is that God delivers his people from slavery to freedom. Now, last week, when we were in Exodus chapter 12, God had brought his most severe plague upon the Egyptians. Again, we spent several weeks on the ten plagues of Exodus, and the tenth was the most severe, when God struck down the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And when that happened, Pharaoh basically banished the Israelites, told them to leave. Now, fast forward to Exodus 14 where we are this morning and the Israelites are being led out of Egypt but Pharaoh has had a change of heart now that's something that we saw several times in the plagues where Pharaoh seemed to finally let the Israelites go and then reneged on his promise and went back on his word and decided to either not let them go or in this instance decided to actually pursue the Israelites with his army We saw that numerous times in the plagues, and we see it here again in Exodus 14, beginning in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Now, once again, we see the supreme pride and arrogance of Pharaoh on display. God has continually shown his supremacy over Pharaoh, and Pharaoh won't accept it. Now, the Egyptians had a well-equipped army. They had chariots, which was the great military technology of the day. The Israelites are unarmed. Looking at verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea. So once again, Egypt is in pursuit of Israel. Now I think of the movie, The Ten Commandments, and I feel like that movie really captures a lot of drama in this situation where the Egyptians are going after the Israelites, Now, with all that God had done for the Israelites, when they see the Egyptians coming after them, how do they respond? Do they respond in confidence and trust for the Lord and look to everything that he's done for them? Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? A little bit dramatic. The Israelites see the Egyptians coming and they're scared to the point of asking if they've been brought out into the wilderness to die. Now, this is the first time in the Exodus journey that they will complain and doubt God's goodness towards them. But it won't be the last. It becomes a continual theme of the exodus. Not trusting the Lord who is continually providing. And in so many of our lives, I'm sure that can be a theme as well. I've made this point before, but if you're here today, you are a walking, talking, living, breathing testimony to God's provision. It might not have always been the easiest route, but you're here. You've made it to this day. But so often it can be so easy to overlook the things that God has given us and to look at, look at what we don't have or what we think we need that we don't have or to fear like we won't have enough. The Israelites see the Egyptians and they're scared. And on the one hand, we can relate to that. But at the same time, it once again overlooks everything God had done ten plagues. And in most of those plagues, God had supernaturally protected the Israelites from the brunt of the plague. And yet after all of those examples, they still struggle to trust in the Lord and jump to the absurd conclusion that maybe they were just brought out there to die. They lose confidence in what God can do. Now, again, it can be easy to be critical of that. But again, for us, it's easy to lose sight when we feel like an army is coming towards us. It's easy to lose sight of God when a situation seems hopeless. It's easy to lose sight of the big picture of what God is doing. Easy to forget what God has done and how he has blessed us. But to the Israelites, Moses gives a powerful word in verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Fear not, the most common command given in all the Bible. God had promised where he was bringing the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord had said to Moses, And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Ultimately, the land that God had promised to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And he'll reiterate those promises again in places like Exodus 6.6 6 and Exodus 6.8. And after all the plagues, all the wonders that God had done, the Passover, where the firstborn of all the Egyptians died, and God spared Israel, after all of that, at the beginning of Exodus chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, the Israelites were told, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. So just before the the parting of the Red Sea, just before the Israelites are at the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 13, They had again been reminded of where the Lord had promised to bring them. God's promises are trustworthy. And yet the Israelites fall into fear. The Israelites were in a dire set of circumstances in the eyes of the world. Again, I think all of us would be tempted to be fearful in their situation. But they had the promise of the Lord. I think fear, stress, worry, and anxiety are extremely common for us in our society. But so many of the things that we fear for aren't even necessarily life and death situations. Oftentimes, not fears where we're in imminent danger. So often, they can be tempting to live in our own minds and dwell on our situations and fears and things that we worry about. I could be terrible about this, by the way. But the problem is when we do that, and I know for probably some more than others who know exactly what I'm talking about, sometimes we can go to pretty irrational places with our fears, such as the Egyptians suggesting that they were brought out after all of that just so they could die. We can go to extremes Now, when we are in fear, I'm not saying that we should be in denial of that fact, but rather, in the face of fear, let us respond in hope, in faith, and in gratitude to God for his goodness. Again, it can be tempting in the face of fear to make up a story for how things can get so terrible. Everything goes wrong. All of it's bad. But that type of worry is not productive, it robs us of joy, it wastes time, and it distracts us from the goodness and the promises of God. That God is a good and loving God who has a good plan for his people in the world. And he had a good plan for the Israelites. And so let us respond with gratitude, faith, and trust in the Lord in the times when we're tempted to be fearful. The Israelites made a mistake when they jumped to the worst case scenario and lost sight of what God had promised them, lost sight of the wonderful things that God had already done for them. And so Moses says, stand firm. We see phrases translated, stand firm, several places in the Bible, especially in Paul's letters. In this instance, what it seems to be saying is, stand still. Stand and watch. Look and see. Especially as Moses continues his thought, picking up in verse 13. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord was with them. Now, they didn't have to perfectly understand everything or perfectly understand how that would all work. They didn't have to have control over everything. Again, temptations that we face as well. But let us look at what the Lord is doing. Stand firm. Look at what he has done in our lives and in this church. Verse 15, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Go forward. For the Israelites, with Egypt coming after them, there are only two directions to go. They can go towards the army or towards the water. But it is in that moment... That the Lord will do a miracle that the people could never have possibly imagined. How could they? God had never done anything like this before. Verses 16 through 18 preview what God specifically is going to do. He tells Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God is leading his people. And the Egyptians are going to follow, but it won't go well for them. God delivers the Israelites from slavery to freedom. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up night without one coming near the other all night. Now, God had been leading the Israelites by a pillar of fire. He had been directing them, but also protecting Israel. And it says that the pillar moved before Israel. But in verse 20, it'll say that the pillar came between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Some think it was some sort of fog or darkness that was created against the Egyptians that temporarily prevented them from following Israel. We don't know exactly, but verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The waters part. Once again, I think that the mental imagery we have oftentimes comes from places like the movie, The Ten Commandments. Now, it's not Moses who ultimately does this. It's the Lord who does it through Moses. The Lord parts the waters of the sea, verse 22. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now just think for a moment of what that must have been like for the Israelites. All the miracles that God had done, being brought into the desert, and now they're walking on dry ground between the parted waters of the sea on either side of them. They had been given an incredible promise. And here it happens. God delivers his people from slavery to freedom. The Israelites make it across safely, but the Egyptians are still pursuing them. They're no longer being supernaturally prohibited by the pillar. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, it's ironic that the Egyptians' chariot wheels were getting clogged. Again, the great symbol of military technology of the time. Here becomes their weakness. Now the soldiers want to turn back. They say that God is against them. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. God had parted the waters... And now he's going to bring them back together. Verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. Verses 30 and 31, the story ends. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The Lord delivers his people from slavery to freedom. The Egyptian army is defeated without Israel having to fight a war. Israel is now totally and forever free of Egypt. And that brings us to our second point, which is the gospel in Exodus. For the Israelites, God is using this miracle as an instrument of his grace. The Egyptians, and especially Pharaoh, were evil. They had not submitted to God. They had persecuted and oppressed the people of God, the Israelites, And so the miraculous event God used for the redemption of Israel, he used for the downfall of Pharaoh and the judgment of Egypt. Every person is ultimately going to bring glory to God. Either you will be a glorious example of his grace by means of salvation through the gospel, or you will glorify him by being rightfully judged in your sins by him. The beginning of Israel's exodus. God acts in a mighty way to redeem his people in fulfilling his promises. Again, there's a number of gospel parallels in this. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And we too are enslaved in sin. And Christ has come to redeem us. The Israelites complain and rebel. That'll be a continual theme. We continue to struggle and rebel. But for the person who has faith, Jesus continues to be faithful. God redeemed Israel to bring them into the promised land. And God has promised us a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Both the Exodus and the new covenant of the gospel are commemorated with meals. As we talked about last week. The Passover meal was celebrated annually as a reminder of God's deliverance in the Exodus. With the Gospel, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, which is a reminder of Jesus' body broken for sins and of his blood shed for sins. Exodus was in fulfillment of the promises God made to Abraham for the land. And it was a deliverance from slavery. The gospel is fulfillment of God's promise of providing a Messiah, a king from the Davidic line, a perfect and spotless lamb to be sacrificed. We see a parallel in both stories that we see victory at a place where there appeared to be defeat. Israel was caught between an army and the sea. It seemed that there was no way out. But God worked his greatest miracle. And in the gospel, Jesus died on the cross, where it looked like that was the end of his ministry, where it appeared that he had been defeated. But it's the cross that is the great symbol of victory, because it's on the cross that he died. But we know what happens next, that he rose and that he lives. For both the exodus and the gospel... They are entirely acts of God. It was entirely a work of God. Freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. And it is entirely a work of God. And redeeming us from the penalty of sin. The Gospel and the Exodus are both stories of God intervening in a situation where there looks to be no hope. Again, Egypt between the army and the sea. And we who are dead in sin and hopeless apart from Christ. Both events lastly, both events are undeniable indisputable proof of God's love. God loved the Israelites and God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God shows his love both in the Exodus and he shows it on the cross. And that's the good news of the gospel that we are sinful, we are imperfect, we are fallen, we are rebellious. But where there looked to be no hope, where there looked to be no other way, that we have a Savior who came into the world, who on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, who redeemed us from our sins, so that we could have the promise of a new land with God to reign with him, to be with him, and to be forgiven and to be redeemed from slavery to freedom, to the glory of Christ and to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your Son and the work that he has done on the cross. Lord, the redemption that he brings Lord, may we all believe and trust in that, to know that he is the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.